at Mitchell and Webb Sound, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb with Olivia Coleman and James Barkman. Welcome back, everyone, to another series of Preston and Loder. Just make sure Loder here keeps his hands off the catering. <laughs> I reckon last series' costumes are going to be a bit of a stretch. Hey, no cheek from you, mate. I'm still the detective inspector. You're still the sidekick. <laughs> 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 you old bugger. What have you been up to down the yacht club, then, eh? <laughs> Not, Not much, much yachting. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now, before we start the read-through, um, I'd just like to introduce our new writer, Sean Stewart, who, after a bit of arm twisting from me has come direct from his groundbreaking success at the Royal Court Theatre to our little old show. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. So, um, with no further ado, Series 7, Episode 1, Scene 1, I'll do the stage directions. Interior, Preston's car, night. Preston and Loder are nursing cups of coffee. It's been a long night. You know what? I'm starting to wonder if Mezzarazzo is even in here. Don't worry, the trail isn't going to go cold here. It can't. Preston reaches out and puts his arm around Loder's shoulder. He massages the shoulder roughly. Thanks. I needed that. We're a team. We'll always be a team. Preston smiles. Loder relaxes. His hand falls gently onto Loder's knee. The two cops make eye contact. They look at each other meaningfully. S sorry, Sally, hang on. What's, what's, what's meaningfully? What, what's the meaning? It's just full of, uh, of meaning. Look, let's have questions at the end. Okay. You're the best partner I could ever have, mate. I feel the same way, mate. Loder tenderly brushes aside a lock of Preston's hair. <laughs> you know, partner, sometimes it's hard for me to put into words how much you mean to me. Don't worry, mate, I know. When you took that bullet for me at the old docks, I felt a love for you that I thought I'd never feel for anyone. <laughs> I'll... I'll always be there for you, Preston. They look at each other for a beat. Then Loder gently lowers his head towards Preston. Their lips meet and they kiss, first cautiously and then with increasing passion. <laughs> look, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's drama. Since when did Preston and Loder turn into a pair of homos? We just wanted to bring out the subtext of the relationship. Subtext? We never had a subtext. I've never acted a subtext. Well, we just <laughs> felt that the series was starting to get tired. We needed something extra. I am not kissing him. No way. We are not kissing, right, Bob? I think it's quite good. <laughs> you what? I just think it's good. For the characters. What's good about it? It adds a dimension. It adds a homo dimension. <laughs> Face it, Dave, it was getting stale. Are you saying you want to get off with me? Oh, no, Dave. God, no. No, 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 no. But I think Preston wants to get off with Loder. <laughs> and I think deep down, Loder wants it as well. No, no way. Loder does not want to get off with Preston. Then why did he give Preston that meaningful look? I don't know. It, it was in the script. Oh, right. How convenient. Look. <laughs> guys, relax. Let's not obsess. It's, it's not all meaningful looks and kisses. <laughs> Let's skip ahead. We'll come back to this issue. Right, here we go. Scene two. Night. The iron fire escape outside a warehouse. Preston and Loder have their guns drawn. OK, Preston, you cover me. I'm going to kick the door down. No need, Loder. With a coy smile, Preston produces a set of keys that tinkle in the moonlight. This is my new loft living space, and tonight's about pleasure, not business. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to coverage of people buying a house and then living in it. So, Jeff, 
You want to buy a house, here's a house, what do you think? Yep. Do you like the house? Yes, fine. Will Jeff be able to buy the house that's fine of his dreams? Yes, he will. It's in budget, is it, Jeff? Yes. And we'll be catching up with Jeff when he's bought his house, which is now. Jeff, you're now living in your house. Yep. What's that like? It's all right. I'm doing a bit of DIY, uh, putting up some shelves, but nothing major. And we'll be catching up with Jeff's attempt to live his having things on shelves dreams now. How are the shelves? <laughs> Useful. Well, that's fascinating. So, to sum up, Jeff, who you don't know, bought a house and is now living in it, having put up some shelves, and I think we can all agree that's basically a good thing. Join us next week when I'll be presenting coverage of someone arranging to rent a flat and then going to the shop to buy some food to eat in it. Oh, and that's a bad miss. <laughs> Not that Steve Davis will be particularly bothered, let's face it. He's won this tournament six times. To him, it's just a hobby now, which he might as well turn up for. Otherwise, he'd just probably lounge around in bed all day. Except he wouldn't, Peter, because, as we all know, as soon as Steve gets knocked out these days, he undergoes this magical transformation into a studio summariser, no less. Yes, not to be confused with the humble booth commentator such as us, Ted. No, as soon as Steve loses, he is rewarded with a comfy seat next to Hazel in the studio, <laughs> where he gets to... Where he gets to talk to Hazel in the studio. Yes. Heaven forfend that a booth commentator such as you or I or Clive Everton should be suffered to set foot in the studio. Keep them in their booth with their sweat patches and their quality streets. <laughs> Give us a purple one. Of course, we have been up to the studio for interviews with young Hazel. Of course we have, Peter. Once. We've been once. When Steve unexpectedly reached the quarter-finals and John Parrott had had that heart murmur. <laughs> anyway, that turned out to be a false alarm and we were booted back to the booth faster than you can say we don't want those ugly old men judging shot of the tournament. It was faster than that. I'm saying it was faster. Those are the headlines at 5.09. And for an immediate reaction to today's event, I think we can speak to Tom Hilton. Hello, Tom. Uh, hello. Chris Powell here from Radio 4. Thanks for speaking to us. Can I ask what your response is to today's announcement that Rail North East will not be funding the laser-assisted train early warning system? Uh, well, yeah, I, I personally think it's a shame. So it's shame on the management, shame on the government? Well, I suppose, but look, can I just say I'm really not the best person to talk to you about this. I mean, it's weird you even happen to call me. You see, by a spooky coincidence, I actually lost my wife in a train crash. Yes, we know. What, one that exactly this kind of system could have prevented. That's why we were in touch with you, Tom. Oh. Oh, right. Blimey. That does seem a bit almost ghoulish. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's because you've got personal experience of a rail tragedy that your views are so important. Really? I would have thought that it was because I've got personal experience of a rail tragedy that my views should be dismissed out of hand. No, no, look, would you say that, to you, safety is by far the most important issue facing the rail network? Well, of course I would. My wife just died in a train crash. Thank you. But, 
you really should talk to someone else. It's impossible for me to have any objectivity at all. Right, but, but if spending the three billion on the system could bring back your wife, that would be worth it? Well, obviously, although I must stress, I lack any objectivity. Nevertheless, what would you say to the minister? What would your message be to him? My message would be, Minister, good luck in judging how to allocate your finite resources given the many competing demands you face. <laughs> Hello, and welcome once again to coverage of people thinking where to go for their holiday and then booking it. This is Sue. I was thinking of Cyprus. And you're booking online, is that right? Yeah. Well, you book it then, Sue, and we'll film you do that. Done it. Good. That's that, then. After, as a treat, we'll be showing clips from the classic episode of coverage of people thinking where to go for their holiday and then booking it when there was a booking error, but it was all sorted out. Bye. <laughs> I'm sure this was the right turning. It's fine. We just need to ask someone for directions. Or what about this guy? N no. no I'm, I'm sure I can find it on the map. Just ask him. It'll be a lot simpler. No, no, I don't think... I... I'd just rather not. Come on, don't be ridiculous. Honestly, you're always like this. What's the big deal? Just ask. I just need a bit more time with the map. Terry, it's fine. He's going past. Wind down your window and ask. All right. Uh, look, I I'm sorry. C could you tell me how to get to Woodstock Road? You what? You, you want me to tell you how to get to Woodstock Road? Why? Uh, well... Because you can't work it out for yourself, you moron. <laughs> Can't you use a simple map? Instead, you have to waste my time with your idiotic inquiry. Oh, please help me, help me. I'm lost. Grow up. I mean, if I even tell you where to go, are you going to physically be able to do it? Are you? Or, or do you actually want me to get in the car and physically drive you there myself? You're not a man at all, are you? You're a pathetic man-boy who refuses to take responsibility for his own actions. And when he realises he's ballsed up, flails around like a great dying whale, moaning on about his own misfortune. You useless dunderhead. You're wasting my time, you're wasting everyone's time. You're a waste of space. Go on, knack off, you tit. You see, that's what I was afraid would happen. Good evening and welcome to a brand new edition of Imagine That. As always in the studio with me this evening are three of this country's most imaginative people. The novelist and author of My Special Horse, June Faulkner. Good evening. Journalist, broadcaster and presenter of the 100 Best Darts Moments of 2004, Mark Kendall. Good evening. And of course, head of physics at University College London and discoverer of time travel, Professor David Trussell. <laughs> Sorry I'm late. <laughs> Right, everyone got their imagining caps on? Yep. yep. Let's start with our first question. This comes via email from a Mr. Reuben Champagne in Warwick, who asks, can the panel imagine what it might be like to have no imagination? <laughs> Mark Kendall? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, that's the paradox alarm there, as a safety feature to stop our panellists from thinking about things which might cause them to turn in on themselves. So, uh, if I could please ask you all not to think about that last question. Ow. No, don't think about it. Thanks. <laughs> Next, Mrs Kerry Hutchinson from Mould asks, can the panel imagine what I'm wearing? Professor Trussell? Well, in my head, I'm imagining her wearing a suit of armour. <laughs> Would that be medieval? Actually, I'm thinking of a 16th century suit of armour. Would you know the difference? No. But it, <laughs> it's got one of those visors with little holes in it, like a colander, so you can't see what she's thinking. Although I like to imagine she wants to attack me with a sword. Have it you, madam. You shall not best me. June Faulkner? <laughs> well, interestingly, I'm also imagining Mrs Hutchinson in a suit of armour, 
But instead of a visor, she does actually have a colander on her face. Why? To strain vegetables, perhaps. <laughs> Mark Kendall? Initially, I did also imagine her in a suit of armour, but that has changed, and now I'm imagining that she's wearing one of my shirts, probably the blue Oxford cotton one. And the rest of her clothes? She hasn't got any. <laughs> ah. It's morning, and I've come down to the kitchen to find her cooking me breakfast, her hair all down her shoulders, no makeup, but she looks great. And there's a sparkle in her eyes, and as she bends down to get something out of the fridge, I can see that she hasn't got any underwear on. Oh, no, hold on, it's, it's gone back to a suit of armour. Is she still not wearing any underwear? No. Well, our final question tonight comes from 16-year-old Forrest Ball from Kirk Bride, who wants to know if the panel can imagine a new type of measurement. Ah, yes, this is interesting. I can certainly imagine a system of measurement for length using finches. <laughs> and is that just an inch with an F on the front? No, it's a small bird, about five, five and a half inches long, and three finches would make a coot. Which is... A wading bird, about 15 inches long, and also is spelt a bit like foot. Mm. <laughs> Mark Kendall? Well, I can imagine a standard unit of distance being defined as how far through the London underground system a copy of the free newspaper Metro gets between the hours of 7 and 8 in the morning. <laughs> Professor Trussell? Take that, woman, and that I shall have your arm off before the day is done. <laughs> No, my sword is lost! And so, as Professor Trussell continues to fight in nightly combat against an imaginary Mrs. Hutchinson, that's all we have time for on this week's edition of Imagine That. Next week, we'll be coming live from Birmingham, where our panellists will be asked to imagine what it might be like not to be in Birmingham. Aha! She is slain. That was exciting. Good night. Oh, and that's a bad miss. Well, this is a chance for Steve Davis to clinch the match, which means that up in the studio, poor old John Virgo will be on a double shift again. This will be the first he hears of it. He won't have been able to arrange a babysitter, or he may have had dinner plans. And I wonder whether Steve Davis is giving any of that a moment's thought as he callously pots this pink. It is no way to run a snooker broadcast, Strand. We've been begging for a proper rotor. We just want to know what evenings we've got off, because I, for one, would like the chance to relax at home once in a while and watch the snooker. Michael, did you have sex with Alice again? Hmm? Did you have sex with Alice again? Uh, yes, I think so. Sorry. How many times do I have to tell you I don't like it when you sleep with other women? Well, I'm sorry. We were at a conference. I wanted to have some sex. You weren't around. Oh, yes, you've always got a good excuse, but still. Do try to be rational, darling. It's not as if you're losing out on anything. I'm going to carry on sleeping with you, too. Oh, well, fine, if you must. Did I tell you I have a secret gambling problem? What now? I spent all our savings on internet poker. I even remortgaged the house. Oh, ruddy hell, Rachel. That's really annoying. <laughs> I, I was saving that money for, you know, the future and stuff. Well, there's no need to bite my head off. Look, what's the matter with you? <laughs> are you trying to pick a fight with me or something? No. Yes, you are. You, you've been niggling away at me ever since you came in. Did you sleep with Alice? I'm a secret gambler, blah, blah, blah. I'm just talking. I know what this is really about. It's not about anything. This is still about the fridge door, isn't it? It's got nothing 
nothing to do with the fridge door. Good, because we have to move on. Nearly a whole cliche I had to throw away, you bastard! <laughs> so it is about the fridge door. And the milk! So much milk! I've said I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry? You think I care for your sorry? I'll never see that quiche again. I know, I know. Please believe me. I think about it every day. I, I can't sleep for thinking about what I did to you and, and what I did to our quiche. So why did you do it? I don't know. I was drunk. I wasn't thinking straight. And, and, and then I've been so tired lately, so stressed about your... About the... The what? You know. Say it. The... Humming. <gasps> How could you? How can you throw my humming habit in my face? I'm not. It, it's just that, well, you know, it's hard living with a loved one who hums show tunes. I don't know I'm doing I... it! I know you don't, love, and I, I'm going to help you through it, but... It is really irritating, and you are really off-key. I know! All I'm saying is, yes, I had a moment of madness. I, I left the fridge open. I, I know you'll never forget, but try to forgive. I will. I am. I'm sorry I have outbursts sometimes, but I am trying. I understand. Give me a kiss. All better? All better. Oh, and about Alice, you did use a condom, didn't you? Oh, dear. Oh, silly boy. <laughs> there now follows a public information announcement. Smoke alarms save lives. Check the batteries in yours regularly. Unless you plan ever in your life to make toast, in which case, why not rip it off the ceiling now and throw it out of <laughs> the window before it drives you out of your mind with its incessant, painful beeping? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of coverage of people who are ill in hospital receiving treatment. Dave, you're ill. That's right, I've got gallstones. They're being taken out? Indeed. Are you nervous but everyone's been wonderful? No, a nurse fingered me. <laughs> Gillian. Thanks, Edward. Well, I'm with Chris, who's got a broken arm. That's right. How did you break your arm, Chris? Just broke. That's an interesting story. And they're going to put it in plaster, are they? That's the plan, yep. Right. In a minute, I'll be talking to a doctor you don't know who's tired. Edward. <laughs> Thanks, Gillian. Well, we've had a bit of a cock-up here, and Dave is dead. In a minute, they'll be carting him off in a trolley, and we'll be able to film that and put it on the telly. Meanwhile, here are some nurses walking about for a bit. <laughs> Hello. Sorry, do you... Yes, sir. How can I help? Yes, I'm quite interested in this hat. Hang on. I know you, don't I? Uh, well, yes, you might. Do I? Do I know you? It's the face. Are you famous? You're famous, aren't you? I suppose. You're... Oh. Ah. Oh. If it helps. No, no, no. Don't help me. Oh, you're so familiar. It's the eyes. And your head. The big head. Yes. And the whiskers. Oh, God. What's your name? Don't tell me. It is... It is quite an unusual name, I suppose. Give me a clue. What have I seen you on? Well, you might have seen me on some stationery. That's it. It's... Your Hello Kitty. <laughs> Oh, oh, Lorks. <laughs> well remembered. You're Hello Kitty. Mayor Culper. Did I get it? Yes, yes. Yes, I'm Hello Kitty. <laughs> Hello. That's amazing. <laughs> Hang on, can I just get... Gordon! Gordon! Look who's here. Hmm, what, what is it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Look! Oh, wow, you're, um... You're from that... That... Oh, I am sorry, you're an actor, aren't you? Well... No, you're... 
Oh, I do recognise the face. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, not at all. Gordon, compare the size of the head to the size of the body. <laughs> oh, God, of course! Miffy! Uh, no. No, I, I get that a lot, but no, Miffy's the rabbit. Of course, sorry, no, you're... I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name. It's Hello Kitty. What am I thinking? Of course it is. Yes. Hello. Yes! <laughs> right, of course. You, you've been on... Oh, what, what was that programme? Uh, I, I don't really do programmes as such. Right, a, a film? Well, no. Uh, are you... You're, you're a comic strip? Not really. You, you do books? Notebooks, certainly. No, that's not it. What, what's that thing you do? Well, I... You um... wave or something, is that you? Well, you may have seen me wave, but I mainly I dress up a lot and appear on things. What are you on again? He's done stationery. No, what else? Might you have seen me on a tiny box? <laughs> that's where I know you from. My sister's got one. Really tiny. That's it. For pills. And I do key rings, of course. She absolutely hates you. <laughs> right. And, sorry, what was it you wanted again? What? A query about the hat, wasn't it? Oh, yes, this hat. Yes, the rain hat, yes, sir. Do you have it in a much, much larger size? <laughs> this is an urgent appeal for help. Are you thinking of giving financial support to a child living in poverty in the third world? Have you ever considered giving money to help people who don't even have clean water to drink or enough food to eat? Do you want to help provide medical treatment that could transform the quality of life of millions of people? Well, think again. In Britain today, thousands of useless domestic pets have a bit of a miserable time because of owners who, for whatever reason, cannot stand the sight of them anymore. For the money it costs to educate and inoculate a seven-year-old boy in Mozambique, this weird, panicky spaniel could spend the rest of his life in a hotel. For the price of a cataract operation, which would restore this Sudanese woman's sight, you could fund months of trawling up and down motorways looking for kittens. For the £3 a month that could equip an Ethiopian farmer with seeds and tools, you could provide a lifetime's doggy biscuits for this Labrador that wheeze itself every time it hears the hoover. <laughs> Please give what you can. Hello and welcome to coverage of people running a safari park. And I'm talking to John, who looks after the zebras. What are you doing, John? I'm giving them their zebra food. Do zebras find it colder here in Wiltshire than in Africa? They do, because it is. <laughs> well, while we let John, who you don't know, get on with this job that he does every day, Gillian's been talking to head tree counter Mike. So, Mike, we're going to get coverage of you counting the trees, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I've lost count. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, and that's a bad miss. <laughs> a wry smile there from Steve as he goes back to his seat. Well, he doesn't give a damn, does he? He's sitting pretty. He's sorted. He's earned millions and millions in prize money, and now he's got a cushy TV contract as long as he wants it. Kaching. Thank you very much, BBC. And he was telling me in the bar the other night that they're talking about a sidestep into the Winter Olympics coverage. Oh, give over. They're offering him ice dancing. 
What on earth does Steve Davis, I mean, bless him, have to offer in the way of insights into the minutiae of Olympic standard dancing on ice or ice dancing? Apparently they want a layman. Why not ask us? We know bugger all. <laughs> They've got him and Jane Torville. They're hoping for chemistry. What, sexual chemistry between Steve Davis and Jane Torville? All right, calm down. Could happen. Well, I hope little Marco Fu wins this match, because he actually needs snooker in his life. He's not going to. No, I know he's not going to. Hello and welcome to coverage of television schedulers deciding what to put on during the day. And this is Annie. Yes. So what are you thinking of putting on television on Tuesday mornings? I uh, haven't given it a moment's thought. Right. I mean, at the moment we've got coverage of people taking their animals to the vet because they're ill, which works well because it builds on the audience for coverage of people selling some of their things to buy a new thing, which itself picks up from coverage of people going on a diet. And do you find people like watching all this coverage? As I would have thought was self-evident, I neither know nor care. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> I know who we've forgotten to invite. Dr Jekyll. Oh, yeah, Dr Jekyll. Let's have him. He's so quiet and restrained and full of integrity. Yeah. <laughs> Although... What? Well, he might bring his mate. You know, the violent, horrible one that beats people up and puts his hands up ladies' dresses. Um, Mr... Uh... Oh, not Mr Hyde. Yes, he is a bit of a handful. He's like Hurricane Higgins, but not even any good at snooker. He's, he's terrible at snooker. He's also very bad at darts. He just chucks the darts at people's heads, which would be very dangerous if his aim was any good. He hates children. He hits them. He breaks windows almost as a point of principle. He weed in my rubber plant last time he was here. Oh, that's thrived. It has thrived. That's how I water it now. I suppose I should thank him. <laughs> but the worst of it is he keeps unplugging stuff to charge his phone. Oh, that is beyond a joke. Yeah, why can't he charge it overnight? It's constantly on the verge of cutting out and he always claims he's expecting an important call. Well, that doesn't sound very likely. No, you have to have a job for that, don't you? I mean, what does he do? Well, nothing as far as I can tell. I think he just sponges off Dr Jekyll. I feel so sorry for Dr Jekyll. Because when you tell him what Mr Hyde's done, he's just inconsolable. He puts his head in his hands and starts saying, why, oh, why? And you go, it's OK, Dr Jekyll, it's not your fault. We all have weird friends. But he just seems to take a very personal responsibility for Mr Hyde. Which, if you ask me, can only fuel Mr Hyde's thoughtlessness. You know, Dr Jekyll's always there to pick up the pieces, be they of vase or of people's lives. Or of people. Mm. <laughs> maybe Dr Jekyll just takes the view, I am my brother's keeper. Is he his brother? Well, no, because then he'd be called Mr Jekyll. It would just be <laughs> Dr Jekyll and Mr Jekyll, his brother, who hasn't got a doctorate. <laughs> I don't mean to hold Dr Jekyll responsible for what Mr Hyde does, but, but you have to tell him, because whenever Mr Hyde kicks off, Dr Jekyll doesn't seem to be around. Do you think it's because he's ashamed of behaving badly in front of Dr Jekyll? I think there might be more to it than that, though I'm not sure what. <laughs> but I certainly don't know why they get on. I don't think they really do. I mean, as you say, you never see them in the same room at the same time. Generally, Mr Hyde bursts in, starts playing up a bit, trashes the place, drinks loads, pops to the loo, and then in comes Dr Jekyll apologising and offering to pay for the damage. Do you think that Mr Hyde is just some sort of transference or projection of all the most evil or suppressed physical longings inherent in Dr Jekyll? <laughs> what, you mean, are they bum chums? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I suppose I do. <laughs> the
That Mitchell and Webb sign starred Robert Webb, David Mitchell, Olivia Coleman, and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell and Robert Webb, James Barkman and Mark Evans, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, Simon Kane, Jonathan Dryden Taylor, and John Finnemore. The producer was Gareth Edwards. Thank you.